We do have the great joy this morning of turning in our Bibles to John chapter 10, and as you're turning there, I just want to note a couple of things to you. Every Tuesday, you might know that we have a staff meeting, and I'm very thankful for that staff meeting. We talk about a variety of things, including reviewing the previous Sunday sermon. After we talked about the music, which of course was really excellent, someone noted to me that maybe the translation of the Bible I'm using, the particular edition of the ESV, is slightly different than what we use in our pews and is going to be projected behind me and in front of me. And the reason someone noted that is because there seemed to be a variation of words about partway through my reading of John chapter 9 last Sunday. And then someone else noted, you know, maybe it wasn't a different edition of the ESV. Maybe, Pastor, you need to use your reading glasses. (laughs) So this morning I'm going to do that because I skipped a phrase last Sunday, and I didn't even know it. So I'm deeply grateful that you're a kind congregation, and I'm going to use my reading glasses this morning. And then I also have to note one other thing. Today is Jeanette's birthday. She really didn't want me to say that, but we are so thankful for every member of our staff. And when we can note that in the contribution that they make, I'm going to do it. So we're at John chapter 10 this morning. I am so grateful to read this. This past week has been full of joys and troubles And I was, my own heart was refreshed by what Jesus says in John 10, verses 1 through 21, and we pray that that will be true for you as well this morning. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and knows nothing for the sh- and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as a father knows me, and I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep." And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have received, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again... A division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? 
Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of God this morning. May you bless it as I seek to explain it to you. Here's the thing this morning, the most obvious example I could use is what's happening in the Middle East. You do a quick Google search, it'll take you less than 10 seconds to find so many examples, pictures, and videos of people who are brutally mistreated. But the cruelty that exists in our world is not limited to the Middle East, not by any stretch. Even those of us who live in beautiful and in many ways wonderful western Michigan sense this cruelty. A pastor friend and I were having lunch this previous week, and a man that I had talked to a few times before came to our table, and I said hi, and we talked for a few minutes, and he freely shared about the cruelty that he sees all around them, a lack of care for other people, a willingness to deceive and to use them. He said, it's never been like this. To which I thought, but did not say, oh, it certainly has. That is not in any way to minimize the cruelty that he has felt. It's only when I reflected on last week's passage about the blind man that Jesus healed, I was struck not only by the greatness of Jesus, but how truly cruel his opponents were. Just think through it with me. Given the choice, they would have preferred that the man stayed blind rather than acknowledge Jesus having the power to heal him. They didn't care whether or not the man could see. They didn't rejoice in that. They weren't thankful that his parents now received their son, who had been blind for so many years, that they now received him with joy. No, they tried to intimidate his parents, and they tried to discredit the man. They wanted Jesus so badly not to be the Messiah that if it meant harming other people in the process, well, that's just the cost of doing business. The cruelty is profound in that chapter. And now I have to tell you that what I'm saying about that previous chapter, you need to keep in mind in chapter 10. When it opens and then repeats a bit later, truly, truly, I say to you, that is John's clue recording the words of Jesus that chapter 10 is explaining chapter 9. It's like, listen, listen up, everybody. What has just happened, now I want to explain to you that Jesus is a shepherd and the door makes sense in the context of the blind man being healed and the cruelty of those religious leaders who would not believe Jesus. So listen to this. There is the greatest possible contrast between those religious leaders in chapter 9 and Jesus in chapter 10. If you don't hear anything else this morning, think about that. This is meant to contrast the worst with the greatest. And in that contrast... I want to give you an idea to hold on and to munch on for this coming week. What I want you to think about is that Jesus gives you access to the greatest care you could ever receive. That's the point. Let me explain that to you. And this passage is quite simple to explain. Because the first six verses are about a figure of speech, or what I'm going to call an illustration. Jesus notes that in verse 6. 
And then verses 7 through 21 are about explaining that illustration or figure of speech. So you first have Jesus saying it and then Jesus explaining that. And when I say figure of speech, I'm drawing on Jesus' language in verse 6 where he says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them is sort of an extended, an extended analogy. He's using symbolic language. And the best way, it seems to me, to explain that to you is in terms of illustration. Some of you children have experienced, not that long ago, your parents telling you some story about their childhood. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you enjoyed it, because I don't want to embarrass them. I simply want to point out, when they told you that story, they were some, trying to illustrate something for you. They were saying, you have this going on, let me illustrate for you how I handled that or what happened to me when I was a child. All parents do it. It's very natural, perhaps not always very effective. <laughs> Jesus uses this illustration because he wants to tell us something about himself. And he uses a symbol and a story, actually two symbols and a story in these first six verses. The two symbols that we read about in this first section is first that of a shepherd he illustrates something about himself, talking about himself as a shepherd, and then he also talks about himself as a door. I want to talk about shepherd first. It's not very difficult for us to imagine in the agrarian society that Jesus was speaking into that people would know shepherds. In a couple of months, we're going to be at Christmas time, and we sing songs about the shepherds tending their fields out or tending their sheep out in the fields. Maybe you're never, you've never been a shepherd, maybe you've never even seen a shepherd, maybe you know anything about sheep, but the idea that Jesus is like a shepherd and that he cares for something is not hard to see. You might say in the ancient world, it was the universal symbol of someone caring for another. But that symbol actually goes much deeper than just caring for. Because that symbol has an incredible Old Testament meaning. There's a lot of richness to that, or as somebody once said, it's thick. I want you to think only of the psalm that we entered into worship with. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the, uh, the Lord our Maker. For we are His people, and what does it say? The sheep of His pasture, those under His care. Or maybe you think about Psalm 23 where the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David is described as a shepherd as well as a king, and the one who was David's son would be a greater shepherd. Or maybe this is most pointedly the case that in Jeremiah, the great prophet speaks of the shepherd leaders who were not caring for the Israelites. They failed them miserably. And Jeremiah prophesies that in the future, to quote him, there will be a shepherd after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So that when Jesus claims in this illustration to be, I am the shepherd who cares for my sheep, the religious leaders, and now us as well, would think not simply of, oh, it's someone who cares for other people. No, you should think in terms of, this is God's great fulfillment spoken over and over in the Old Testament of the way that God would care for his people in the ultimate sense. Do you see that? 
This is not just small language. This is language on the grandest term. Now to the second symbol, the second way that Jesus illustrates himself in verses 1 through 6. And I have to tell you something. As I was studying this passage over the last week or two, it really troubled me that Jesus mixes the symbols in this passage. He goes from shepherd to door, door, shepherd, door, shepherd. And I think, why is he doing that? Wouldn't it be much simpler for him to have one section of verses where he describes himself as the door? And another whole set of verses where he describes himself as the shepherd. Why combine the two? Well, let me give you a sense of why I believe that is true. In fact, the door in these first six verses that he has accessed, the place of the way of access to the care that God is providing, I would suggest to you that's the dominant symbol in these first six verses. Why? To really understand that, I think you have to think about chapter 9 and its religious leaders. And I want you to think about what motivated them in chapter 9. Why did they oppose Jesus so strenuously? Why did they hate him to the point they wanted to kill him? Why did their hatred turn into such cruelty for this man and his parents? And the answer, I think, is an answer that every single one of us can appreciate because it often gnaws at our own hearts. These religious leaders wanted to hang on to their own power, to the dependence that the Israelites had on them. In fact, in this account, Jesus refers to those who came before him as thieves and robbers. It's an interesting set of words to use. It's sort of, he's piling those words on. Why does he call those who came before him, those in chapter 9, thieves and robbers? Because they were taking something that only belonged to Jesus. They pretended to be something they would never be. They were saying to the people, come to us, we can answer your questions. You need us in order to have access to God. We are, we are the religious authorities, come to us. And Jesus came along and in this passage says, look what happens when you try to hold on to that access for yourself. You end up dishonoring God, not recognizing the Messiah, and you end up being cruel to God's people. I have to say that Jesus calls them thieves and robbers seems mild to me in comparison to what goes through my mind. Jesus was opposed because he was compromising their position as a people that others needed in order to have access to God. If Jesus was really the Messiah, then what role would they have anymore? They were not critical. And so Jesus extends... Our understanding of the care that he gives, which is going to be so clear as he explains himself as the shepherd, this rich analogy from the Old Testament, God's ultimate caretaker of his people, he extends it by saying, and there's also this, I am the door by which you have access to this care that God gives. You see the brilliance of that? It's amazing that he would combine the two. Not just say that he cares, but then tells us how we can access that care. Those are the two symbols that dominate these 21 verses. 
And I want to point out in these first six verses that in addition to these symbols or illustrations of Jesus, there's also a little story entailed. It's not told as a story, but I just want to run through it because Jesus notes the difference between a true shepherd and those who are not shepherds. And then he expands upon that in his explanation, verses 7 through 21. The way I'd explain it is very simple. Jesus says a true shepherd speaks to his sheep, and what do his sheep do? They hear his voice and they respond. Why do they respond to him? Is it a simple matter, matter of familiarity? Well, yeah, maybe. They do have familiarity with him. To have familiarity with Jesus means you recognize him. But it's way more than familiarity. It's not just that they are familiar, that you are familiar with Jesus. It is that Jesus is ultimately trustworthy in terms of his care. You can know some people very, very well and not trust them at all because your familiarity leads to fear. It leads to contempt. It doesn't lead to dependence. And yet these sheep in this story, when they listen to the voice of their shepherd, hear Jesus is the one not only they know, but they believe in and trust in, and they follow him. What's the other side of this story? Those who are pretenders, hired men. Those who are not there in order to care for the sheep. The stranger, the sheep run away from him. They don't know him. They don't trust him to lead and to care for them, and so they flee. Think very carefully this morning with me, friends, about what Jesus is saying to you in these first six verses. He is saying to you, as I emphasized at the beginning of this passage, that Jesus is giving you access to the greatest care that you could ever receive. And he is combining these two symbols to make that fully apparent. He wants you to not only hear that, but as one of his sheep, to trust it to the point of depending upon him. That you would hear the voice of Jesus this morning. There's something very in the moment of this passage. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Can I tell you, friends, in the moment when I'm preaching, that's what I have to depend on. If you're listening to me and you are not hearing the voice of your shepherd through me, then something is really wrong here. It could be wrong in me. That is, I'm not speaking the truth of God's word. And then I would tell you as much as it would pain me, flee. Don't listen to that. You're not here to listen to me. You're not here because you like my stories or because I'm a little funny sometimes. I'm hoping that you have come here because you need to hear the voice of Jesus. Is that not true? You need the voice of Jesus because Jesus can care for you. You need his care. Think of all the places in life, in your own life, in the life of your extended family, your community, the world, how much we need the care of Jesus. And if you need that, come here. Come. Listen. And know that Jesus provides what you need. But there could also be another problem. It is not that I'm failing to speak with the voice of Jesus, the words of Jesus, and maybe that you struggle to trust him. And if you do, I'm going to point you to the explanation that comes next in verses 7 through 21. There's the explanation of this illustration. Again, I'm saying Jesus is your access to the greatest care you could ever receive. 
If that's true, Jesus takes great pains to explain to that to you this morning. And he explains both parts of that. First, the care that Jesus offers that he is capable of providing, and then the access that Jesus himself is to that care. Let me be very, very structured in the way that I explain these two to you. First, the care and then the access. First, if you look at verse 11, Jesus says, I give my life for his sheep. He repeats that. This is the ultimate sacrifice. John later in another book writes, how do you know love? You know this love because if you have a good friend, a good friend might lay down his life for you. What Jesus does for us is more than just be a good friend. It would take a very good friend to lay down your life for the sake of another. But what Jesus is offering is not just preservation of life in this world. No, if you take what Jesus is saying within the context of John and the Gospels and the Scriptures, Jesus is not just offering us care in terms of continued life. He is offering us ultimate care by fellowship with the God who made us. And then everything that flows from that. It is not a minimal care, it is maximal care. It is the greatest care, it is ultimate care. Care to the point that he gives his life for you. He stands in the place that we deserve and he is willing to suffer the death and punishment that is naturally ours. No one else can do that. I love my father. My father has been a great man in my life. I would have no doubts that if it came down to the choice of my father laying down his life for me or him keeping his life, he would lay it down. I have no hesitation. Is that not amazing? There's never been a moment in my life where I've doubted that. My father has always been that kind of father to me. But here's the thing. My father pales in comparison to what Jesus is saying here this morning. And as much as you might sense in your heart that desire for care that you've never experienced or maybe not experienced to its fullness, what Jesus offers to you is that ultimate care. Do you hear that? The second thing that Jesus emphasizes about this care comes in verse 16, and that is this care is wide. Jesus says this is true not only for those who are listening to him in that moment. He says, I have other sheep that I must also gather that there would be one sheepfold and there would be one shepherd. What does that mean? What it means is the natural hesitation we might have in our minds in thinking, well, that's for other people. <laughs> Haven't you ever said that to yourself? All that good news is really good for that person. I see the way they are. They're wonderful people. I'm sure Jesus is proud of them, but you know me? It's a different story. What Jesus is emphasizing in verse 16 is, is that care extends broadly. It is for all those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who are there in the moments and were listening to him and those who are here in this moment and listening to me. The care is sufficient for all who would trust in him. We are the sheep who are not of that fold. We are the ones that Jesus is gathering he is gathering you this morning. He is calling you to himself. He is saying, you are, you are the, the one that I gave my life for. You are the one that you trust in me. You are the one that I care for. 
And then the third thing that illustrates that care, it's not only ultimate and wide, it's also very willing. Look at verses 17 and 18. Jesus says, I lay my life down of my own accord. No one takes it from me. And this is even why my father loves me, because I give my life so willingly. <laughs> I know how it feels to do things for other people begrudgingly. Be honest, have you never done that? You are so tired and your child comes to you and says, Mom, I've got this test in the morning. Could you please help me study? Be honest with me. Is there not a little groan in your soul at that moment? Or your son comes home and he says, Dad, we got to talk. Something happened when I was out. Guess what? A little dent in the car. Is there no part of your soul that says, how in the world not again? Why does it all fall on me? I'm always the person of last resort. Other people make the problems. I've got to pick up the messes. Come on, have you never said that? Of course you feel that way. Whether it's you with your children, whether it's you with your spouse, you with your friends, everyone has that. Our care that we offer is often not very willing at all. Jesus is willing always. You can go to him and you can say, Savior Jesus, I need your help. Would you provide care for me? Show me your care. And there is not a touch of begrudging at all in the way that Jesus answers. I think I've said this before, but I want to say it again. In case you've never heard me say it, it's been revolutionary for my life. I grew up hearing over and over that Jesus loves me. Is that not great? So thankful for that. Maybe this will help you understand this willing part. It took me many, many years to figure out that Jesus not only loved me, he was committed to me, sort of he had to, it was contractual. And this great covenant that was made between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to bring about salvation, Jesus, his part is to die on the cross and redeem me. And he would do that because of love. It's all right there. Jesus, that's his job. But do you understand that Jesus also likes you. He delights in you. He doesn't like everything you do. Of course not. He's calling you to repentance and faith and to a sanctified life. But can you believe that Jesus delights in you as his own child? That's what it means for Jesus to be willing in that care. He doesn't look at you and say, if I have to. He looks at you and says, I want to. I want to care for you. And I will guarantee you, you look the world over, you might be married to the most wonderful spouse in the world, and you will never receive that kind of care from a human being. It will not nearly be as ultimate, it will not be as wide, and it will not be as willing. That care is divine, and it comes in Jesus Christ alone. The other thing that Jesus explains in verses 7 through 11, first the illustration, I said, first six verses, now the explanation, verses 7 through 21. He not only explains the care, now he also explains the access. And as I've said, this really seems to be the emphasis of this section. That Jesus cares for us is wonderful, and I want you to revel in that. But the great question that is brought by chapter 9 is, and how is that possible for us? If these religious leaders were begrudging in the way they viewed Jesus, does Jesus also operate with a self-seeking purpose? And the answer is no. And that emphasis on the care that God gives for his people throughout the Bible, we have the willingness of Jesus, I just noted, to offer himself for us. 
It is not simply that Jesus came as the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise to be a better shepherd, to be a Psalm 23 shepherd to you. It is not just that you need this care in a way that no other can provide, but Jesus also has access to the Father who promises this care to us in Jesus Christ. He is your guarantee not only of the care, but your access to that care. Or if that sounds too complicated, let me put it more simply. Jesus is our guarantee that that care is truly ours. It is not merely theoretical, that is, could be available to others. It is ours as children of God. And that should result in two things in us. Let me encourage you in this regard first. It should be very comforting. I think I've used Psalm 23 more often than any other psalm when I've gone to visit someone in the hospital or when I've come to visit some of you when you've suffered a death in your family. It's because of the familiarity of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Those are beautiful words. And what Jesus wants to emphasize is that you can be comforted by them. He will bring you into a pasture. He will lead you beside still waters. He will restore your soul. And Jesus will do that over and over and over and over again. In contrast to all others who are thieves and robbers, that is, they were in it for themselves. Jesus has one motivation, love for you as the Father intended. And so I'm going to end this morning with a bit, just a few words for those who are not here, by which I mean not in this building. Obviously, I've been speaking to those of us who are here, praise the Lord, glad to see your face. But I'm also very aware for a number of reasons that became apparent to me over this, uh, this past week that there are people who join by our internet, internet stream or watch this service later. And to those of you who are doing so this morning or will listen to this later, I want to say something to you as well as to each one of you who are here. Perhaps you're one of those people that is listening over the internet this morning, someone that I've met during this past week or a previous week, maybe months ago, and you've come to our internet stream wondering how you could receive the care that your heart longs for. Perhaps you even told me, I can remember a conversation that one of you had with me, where you told me how cruel the world is. I've relayed that. It is not the first conversation. That is one of the most common things that I hear, is that we live in a very cruel, and then add to it a very lonely world. So not only is this world full of trouble, People are harmful, and I have no one to go to. Imagine the difficulty involved if that's your reality. And now I'm telling you as you're listening to this that you're not insane. Jesus wasn't insane in this passage, but you're also not insane. The reason you feel like the world is cruel and you're all alone in it is because you're missing something significant. 
You're looking in all the wrong places for something that only Jesus can provide. He is your access to the care that you need. There is no care greater than His, and He will give it to you. Or to put it simply, God gives access, Jesus gives access to the greatest care you'll ever receive. Or let me also say, perhaps you wish this morning as you're listening over the internet stream or sometime later that you could be here, but you can't. Maybe you live too far away. Or maybe you're not able to leave your home. I'm sorry that you can't. I really wish you were here. There's no substitute for being in the same place in close proximity with others who are listening to the same truth. It's the reason why when you're at college, it feels kind of lonely. And even though you might Zoom or FaceTime with someone, it's not the same, is it? As glad as I am that you can participate in the way that you are, it's not quite the same. But listen to this. It does not mean that Jesus is limited. He can still care for you. Jesus' desire and ability to care for you is even greater than your desire to be here. So listen again. Jesus gives access to the greatest care that you might ever receive. That is Jesus' good news for you this morning. Let's pray. Our Father... We can look at our own hearts, and it's easy to see around us how difficult things can be. And maybe that is your way as a divine and powerful God to lead us to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've even frustrated us over many years in our attempts to try to find something that is only satisfied in our Savior. Maybe even we have spent our lives pursuing things that we're hoping that when we got there, we would truly be cared for, only to find our 401k dropped in value this previous week. And the people that we were really planning on being with us now are not there at all. Maybe they have died, or maybe they've abandoned us. And the whole plan that we had in life for being taken care of, being at peace, having a life that is secure is all dissipated like vapor in the wind. It is for that reason that you brought us to John chapter 10, that we would know that in Jesus Christ there is a care that is unlike any other. And Lord, I pray that for my own heart and each person who is here and listening, that you would not only speak to our minds about this truth and we would be convinced by John 10 and its words, but you would also open our hearts by the power of your Spirit that we would see the wonder of Jesus. Father, hear this prayer, for we come in Jesus' name. Amen.